Amen. I've been sort of warning you about this moment for the last couple of weeks because this sermon is, um, truthfully, I just I try to be as transparent as possible with you guys. This is this next few these next few sermons are the ones I've been sort of um, not as much looking forward to in Romans because they're just challenging. They're challenging to hear in the sense that. Trying to figure out how they apply to us and how they work with us. And also because uh, there are some thoughts that are hard to um, understand and comprehend. And so we're here today. And I hope to do the best. And I think that there's going to be some good application uh, from these things. But as always, uh, we go through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse in order that um, we don't just pass over things that are a little more difficult to understand or comprehend or even questions that are harder to answer. So today we're going to be in Romans chapter 11, uh, 11 through 16. It's the third part of really answering this question, um, has God rejected his people? We've come to this third sermon in Romans chapter 11, all revolving around that question. Now in the first sermon we saw... That God had not rejected his people um, and that, as a matter of fact, he's always had a remnant. Remember what Paul said about himself, you know, I, am, I was a Jew of Jew, Israel of Israel, Israelite of Israelite, and yet I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Um, I, if, if no one else is a believer, I'm a remnant of God's people who is a believer. And, um, but also he points back to the time of Elijah and points back to the 7,000 men that God had preserved, that, not had, that had not bowed their knee to Baal. So last week we confirmed um, that it was not actually God that rejected Israel, um, but it was Israel that rejected God. We saw that they had lulled, lulled themselves to sleep uh, in their sinful condition. Remember, um, the word for stupor is like an appendage falling asleep. Um, and I think something I didn't point out last week that I want to uh, just give uh, credence to right now is that um, when our leg falls asleep, it's not dead. It just feels dead. Um, and so there is a remnant. There is a, a, a group of people that God is preserving for himself. And I think even what we'll see over the next couple of weeks, it might even be uh, larger than we like to... Uh, uh, or that we have comprehended or maybe have thought initially. Um, but what, uh, nonetheless, the Israelites were, they had all of, the, all of the knowledge and all of the wisdom and all of the ability to see God, but the problem was they were not spiritually tuned in. Um, it was not a knowledge that led to righteousness because it was not a knowledge that was spiritually based. They allowed their prosperity um, to become the blessing. The blessing was uh, communion with God. The blessing was uh, the coming Messiah. The blessing was restored fellowship with God. And yet all the things God gave them to lend their minds to that, to point their, their hearts and their minds to that, they uh, used as the blessing instead. And it is the quintessential problem in the history of people of faith is that we, we um, 
worship or look to the gift more than we do the giver. It is a problem that we ourselves often face. And the last idea that we talked about last week was um, because of their rejection, the Lord has passed over for a time. Uh, he has passed over many of his original chosen people. We pointed out how that was an example of uh, just one of many in the Bible of election and repro reprobation. Election is God's chosen people, uh, his salvifically chosen people, um, him pulling them out uh, from the beginning of time before the foundations were set, saving them uh, and keeping them. And reprobation is God allowing people who reject him, who have wholesale rejected him because of the fall of man, God allowing them to go on in their sin and just passing over them. This is what we've seen with the people of God. Uh, at least it appears from what Paul is saying for a time. And it's what we see in ourselves. Um, we are here today, uh, not because of any strength, power or wisdom of our own. We're here today. And if we're a professing believer and if we are a believer, we're here today because of God's um, willingness to save us. But not only is willingness his full pleasure in redeeming unrepentant, uh, unsaved people and calling a people up uh, to himself. Uh, I don't know of a work greater in this world that it, or that is on his mind greater or that he brings him glory greater than um, a soul repenting of their sin, turning to him and then helping to restart that process in someone else. Um, so that's where we are. Today we're going to be looking at, uh, as you saw just a second ago, Romans 11, 11 through 16. What I want to do is I want to pray that uh, before we begin, really, that the Lord would just open our hearts, open our minds, that we'd find something applicable today, but also that we would be able to, um, to be able to understand this from just a strictly knowledge standpoint also. Lord, be with us today. Help us to uh, follow your word to seek after you through your word and trust your word, not only as infallible and inerrant, but as sufficient for our lives. Help us to uh, see your Bible, your word, as the final arbiter for us, as our final, um, our final point of, of study and understanding, Lord, for every area of our lives, um, and to trust you and the message you've left through the Spirit-given uh, Word of God. We love you. We praise you. We are so grateful to be here in this place today to have a time of uh, just worship, a time of focus solely on you. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So has the Lord, has God rejected His people? The third sort of answer to that question is, uh, no, and then this thought, Israel's rejection has opened the gospel to the world. That's our main point today. Has God rejected his people? No, but Israel's rejection has opened the gospel to the world. Look at verse 11 of chapter 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now we found out in our text last week that Israel rejected God and his salvation. 
Um, they were too accustomed to the Lord's good hand. They were too accustomed to prosperity. And as I've already mentioned, I might mention it one or two more times. Soon the gifts in their mind outweighed the giver. And they began to love and worship the gift instead of the giver. They created this system of the law. The law was intended to be a gift to draw people to God, to the Messiah, to the Redeemer. And yet they used that gift as their system of self-righteousness. So instead of worshiping the Lord through the gift, they worshiped the gift. And their gift and their rejection of this has led to some very real consequences for Israel. Specifically, a hardening from the Lord that caused them to be blinded to the gospel, that caused them to be lulled to sleep. So it is, it is so ironic that the very thing that was intended to give them the clearest of eyes to see the Messiah has also been the thing that blinds them to sleep. And there's probably going to be three or four side sermons today, but a side sermon in that, friends, an abundance of the gospel for us can often do the same. It blinded them to the gospel. It was meant to be the thing that revealed the gospel to them. But on a larger scale, not only did this gift blind them to the gospel, and it caused their rejection of the Lord, but on a larger scale, their rejection did something great for mankind. Their rejection ushered the Gentiles into salvation. God, in His infinite wisdom, used the disobedience of His people to further the gospel more largely and more deeply than it had ever gone. Now, don't be mistaken. This is not actually in any situation where it appears that the Lord is reacting. Don't be mistaken. He's not reacting. This was all in the plan of God to use the rejection of Israel to bring about salvation to the Gentiles. The, the Israelites didn't force God's hand. God wasn't up there saying, oh my goodness, my people have now rejected me. I could have never seen this coming. What do I do? Oh, I'll just give it to these Neanderthals. No, he, he had a plan from the beginning of time to make a larger people. And he used the rejection of Israel to do that. God in his infinite wisdom used this obedience. It wasn't a reactionary plan. This was the divine plan from the beginning to use Israel's rejection to form this great people. To expound and extend upon a salvation that had only been to that point for a nation and anyone who found themselves in that nation. Now you didn't have to be a Jew to live by faith at that point. But you had to follow the way they, that was prescribed by faith in order to be a person of faith. I want to point out uh, four thoughts under this idea that Israel's rejection has led or opened the gospel to the world. I want to point out four thoughts for you. Israel was intended to be God's gospel light. The nation of Israel was intended to be God's gospel light. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Friends, you need to hear this. Israel was intended to voluntarily be the gospel light to the world. And when they didn't do that, 
God forcibly did it to them. They were a gospelite in a way that did not include them in the salvific plan. God used um, the salvation then of the Israel of the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, what was meant for them to be uh, to be a gospel that they took to the world, a gospel that the world came to faith in God through them ended up being a curse to them. Now this jealousy will one day make many from the nation of Israel repent and believe the gospel. But it was their rejection that caused the Gentiles to come to gospel faith and not their obedience. It was intended to be the other way. So now, ironically, God uses the Gentiles in the way that He intended to use Israel. It was Israel who was originally uh, had this, who originally had this embarrassment of riches. They had this embarrassment of spiritual riches, and they were intended through their embarrassment of spiritual riches to stir up jealousy in all the nations around them, in order that some from the nations around them would repent. Israel was meant to be a light to the world so that others would see the one God of the universe and would repent. Think about Jonah. You might have thought a lot about Jonah. You might not have thought a lot about Jonah. But one aspect of Jonah that you don't need to miss was Jonah was a missionary not to Jews. Jonah was a missionary to Assyrians. Jonah was a missionary to Gentiles. It was in the Lord. And what was Jonah asked to do? Jonah was asked to go to the Assyrians and tell them to repent. It was in the plan of God, not just to save the Israelites from the very beginning, but to save, to make a people of himself larger than just his chosen nation. He intended, listen, this is very important because I think I might have looked at it backwards for a very long time. He chose Israel not to be a nation, not to be a holy huddle. He chose Israel to be the stalwart, to be the prototype, to be the, to, the, the, the test or the subject of His glory so that other people might see and be saved. I think for a vast majority of the time, I looked at Israel and said, these are God's chosen people. These are the ones that were chosen. Look at them. Look how special they are because they are chosen. And I feel like I ended it there. But that is not the truth, friends. It's too simplified in that method. God chose Israel to be the point, the entry point of salvation for the rest of the world. It was never intended that they take their salvation and hold it and huddle it and hoard it and keep it. They were to take that salvation and bring that light to the rest of the world. But the vast majority of them and side sermon, the vast majority of us today look at the difficulty in sharing the gospel and bringing the gospel to a pagan world just like Jonah did. And sometimes like Jonah, we look and we say, I don't want these people to repent. They're horrible people. And we, re we reject and we abandon our calling to bring the gospel to the world. And, and guess what? We, we form into our little nations of Israel every Sunday morning. And we gather a people of, to ourselves. Israel was intended 
to be a gospel light. They weren't called out as a nation to be called out. They were called out as a nation to bring other nations to the Lord, to the glory of the Lord. Throughout the Old Covenant, this is the plan of God. The Lord intended for the Israel, the prosperity, the spiritual prosperity of the Israelites to stir up jealousy amongst the Gentiles in order that some might be saved. Friends, I want to tell you, if we aren't willing to be used by God in the way he wanted to use Israel, in the way he has prescribed to use us. He can pass over us either in a spiritual blessing way or in a salvific way in the same way that he did Israel. Instead of Israel stirring up jealousy. Instead of them stirring up jealousy amongst the nations, they were the jealous ones. They saw the faith that the nations had. And in their in the back of their minds, if not in the forefront, especially early on, they knew that this was supposed to be their faith. We must understand that Christianity is a Jewish faith. It was intended for Jewish people first. They were God's people first. They were the ones by which the Lord wanted to spread the message of salvation. Paul on every missionary journey. Paul here claims to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And yet on every missionary journey, where did you find him preaching? Do you know? He was preaching in the synagogues. You know why he explains why he went to preach in the synagogues first? So that I might save some. Some what? Jews. Paul still saw Christianity as a Jewish faith. And as a matter of fact, friends, you need to hear this. If the Jews had not rejected Christianity wholesale and had not driven them out, Christianity would just be another sect of Judaism. It would have just been seen as another sect of Judaism. Now, I don't mean to, and I'm not belittling it. It's not. It's not. It is, it is a fulfillment of the Jewish uh, promises. Jesus is, and you know all that. I don't need to explain that to you. But it would have been perceived, if it hadn't been met with such contention, it would have been perceived as just another sect of Judaism. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just the rejection of Jesus and the rejection of Christianity that led to faith amongst the Gentiles. It wasn't just this rejection. It was great persecution. It was great persecution from the Jews upon Jewish believers. Persecution that drove a deacon named Philip to leave and share the gospel in Samaria where Samaritans were saved. And also to the Ethiopian eunuch and how he finally settled in Caesarea. You know, Paul probably would have never left Jerusalem had he not been persecuted out. And yet Paul is the great missionary to the world in the first century. But it was always God's plan. It was always God's plan to use the light that was supposed to shine through the nation of Israel and and carry that light to the Gentiles. Ephesians 3, we talked about this in our Wednesday night 
uh, time together, Ephesians 3 and Colossians 1, it's called the great mystery of the ages. That God would open the door of salvation, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the rest of the world. How God would use the rejection of Israel, the rejection of, his, of the Son of God by Israel to bring salvation, to bring that light to the world. Israel was intended to be the dispensing nation of salvation to the world. They were intended to receive the Messiah. And, and really, in a way, they were because the first Christians, the gospel was spread widely through Jewish believers. Another thing I want you to see about this rejection is that Israel took God's covenant for granted. Look at verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentile, Gentiles. Look, it's their trespass and their failure. God has not broken His covenant. God has not broken His covenant with His people. He, like Paul says about Paul and about the 7,000 who have not bowed their knee, He has not broken their covenant. He is Keeping, he has kept a people. Not only was Israel supposed to be a gospel light and spread their prosperity in order to stir jealousy and bring repentance amongst the Gentiles, they were also supposed to be abundantly spiritually wealthy in order to draw them to Jesus, in order to draw them to the Messiah. And really, had they received that, they would have had this fellowship like they hadn't had since the Garden of Eden. If you think about it, Jesus was sort of Israel, uh, it was sort of Eden 2.0. Jesus, the Messiah coming, was Eden 2.0. It was God walking with His people. It was God giving him, them life. It was abundance. It was spiritual prosperity. And they went to the creation instead of the Creator. Just like in Eden. Abundance. Spiritual prosperity. God walking with His people. And then a rejection of that. Now we know that there will be a greater Eden. And that will be when God makes all things new. Once and for all. And so what we see is for a time God's plan has been lost on Israel. The riches that they were supposed to have. The riches that they held so long. Walking with God, fellowship with God, communion with God was transferred to the Gentiles. To that, we're sad, but to that we say amen. Because we stand here today and we sit here in faith because the door was open to us. They had Abraham. They had Moses. They had the prophets. And yet they took them for granted. They had John the Baptist. They had the disciples. They had Jesus, and yet they killed them. Always looking and assuming throughout their history that the next prophet was the next great Messiah. And when the Messiah came, they missed Him. It wasn't that they didn't have knowledge of what the Messiah would look like, but it was that they had formed an idea of the Messiah in their mind that when He actually came, the idea that they formed in their mind did not look like Him. Friends, this is, this is the truth of modern idolatry in the church today also. 
Forming an image in your mind of the Messiah that does not jive with what the Bible says about the Messiah. We have countless churches who have spent tons of money, tons of time, and tons of energy doing that various thing. They developed this pattern of rejecting God, though, all of the way up to Jesus. It's most vividly seen in Matthew 21, and it's just a parable, so I want to tell you, I just, I'm just going to read it for you. If you want to turn there, it's Matthew 21, starting in verse 23, or 33, it's kind of long. You can turn there, it's not going to be up here, though. Matthew 21, verse 33. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who had planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and when it went and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his first servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent, another, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to them, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of his seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the, the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the, the people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. This is just another example of the blindness and the stupor that they were in. The blessings. The, the, the vineyard owner built. He dug it up. He did all the work. He prepped the vineyard. He built a fortification around it. So much so that the people that he put in charge of it thought it was theirs to do as they wish. They had forgotten who owned the vineyard. They killed the prophets. They killed the ones whom he sent to get them to repent. All the way up into his son. They rejected and killed him too. They were intended to be gospel light. They took the covenants, the prophets, the blessings, all the way up to the Messiah. They took those things for granted. And also, we see the Gentile faith brought, about, brought out Israel's jealousy. It's the third idea amongst all of this. The Gentile faith brought out Israel's jealousy. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, I've mentioned this already, but it was, the, it was God's people who were supposed to stir up jealousy in others and bring them to saving faith. And that was taken away from them and actually forced on them. 
So here's how this sort of lays out. It's like starting a new dating relationship. At first, you care about each other. You do things to woo and you love. And there is this mutual prosperity in the relationship. Many people call it the honeymoon phase. And over time, uh, it can happen. It doesn't always have to happen. Uh, one person may take for granted all that has been given to them. The beauty of that relationship. You assume maybe that that relationship is going to keep going the way it has. Because of your prosperity, you forget the amount of work that it took to get you to that point. And eventually, um, usually maybe it's the guy who... Uh, it's, it can be both, but a lot of times the image is better seen when it's the guy who's getting dumped because he's a bum. Um, but the guy gets dumped and the girl... The guy who he, he in his, you know, sort of rationalization, he gets dumped and he says, I'm better off or, you know, they, I didn't want her anyway or things were getting bad or she didn't deserve me. You know, he can say that all he wants until when the girl gets a new boyfriend and the girl gets a new boyfriend and things change. The girl gets a new boyfriend and the guy who thought she'll never get anybody better than me. All of a sudden, the boyfriend's a little better looking. And he's a little kinder. And this guy is on the outside in looking at this better relationship. And it stirs up immense jealousy. Because in prosperity... And in the midst of losing this idea that you have to work and you have to be light to that other spouse, you forget that that person has value. You forget that there was value at one time in your relationship and you've heard all the cliches, the grass is not always greener on the other side or you don't know what, it's, you, don't know what you have until it's gone. And it stirs up jealousy. It stirs up anger. But God uses this still. We, talk, we will talk about that more. But God will use this rejection, I believe, to stir up a great revival amongst His chosen nation. Paul's three missionary journeys... The first half of known time. And even the Messiah spent his time bringing salvation to the Jews. And I think one day he will bring about through their jealousy because of what we are, because of what he's done for us, he will bring about a revival amongst the people, his chosen nation. There's a larger practical point that I want to bring out for you today in this point. And I want to do it by asking this question. Is our spiritual life faithful enough to drive others to jealousy that they may repent? I think one thing we need to repent of 
is this desire that the church has constantly held to look like the world in order that the world should feel comfortable around us. On some level, friends, the world should be uncomfortable being around us. I, I have repented of this thought that I've had. I felt... I have felt so awkward as a pastor at times, and especially in the past. I have accepted this now when other people acted weird around me because I was a believer. Not because of anything I had done, but just because I was a believer or because I was a pastor. I spent a lot of time trying to make people feel that I was just like them. Now, in, in a good sense of that, that's called incarnational ministry. We meet people where they are. We are just normal people. But there is this fine line that we must walk because what ends up happening is in incarnational ministry, we work so hard to look like the world and make the world feel accepted that we lose what defines us. And friends, our words should be seasoned with salt as Colossians 4, 6 says. We should be kind. We should be wise in the way we um, share the gospel, but we should not make our, our presentation of ourselves and our gospel presentation so like the world that it is unlike God. The distinguishing characteristic of the Gentiles was not just that God had transferred His love and kindness and care to another people, but it was they were thriving spiritually. The spiritual life of the Gentiles, that radical change, that radical delineation between the world and them, between the way they were living and the way they live now, between even the Gentiles and the Jews, that radical delineation was so prevalent that people visibly saw it. I've said this before and I don't, I don't know if you understand the impact of this. The first Christians did not give themselves the name Christian. They were called Christians because they lived their lives so radically like Christ that that was how the rest of the world chose to point out them amongst the people. We have spent so much try time trying to blur the lines between what it means to be a Christian and looking like the world that often our churches are just filled with a bunch of unrepentant, worldly, carnal people. Again, if the world finds any contention in us, it isn't a personality thing. It isn't because we are mean or mean-spirited. It isn't because we lack grace or kindness. It is because the gospel is overtly offensive to people who, have, who are made in the image of God and can't find God on a real and true and spiritual level. Or choose not to find God on a real and true and spiritual level. It isn't because... We are unseasoned. It isn't because we are unloving. It isn't because we are just mean in general. The gospel is offensive because 
it, it drives people crazy who can't receive it. Even to the point where they want to drive out every testimony of it. We have to ask ourselves, friends, as a church, as a people, is there enough spiritual fruit in our lives that the testimony of us is Christian? Or that it induces jealousy amongst the lives of those people around us? This may just be a conjecture that is my own. And if it is, pardon me for saying it, but I don't think that it is. The reason that we can't find people to share the gospel with is because our lives don't stir up enough jealousy in other people's lives to cause a pursuit or an inquisition in us. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, how do I know who to share the gospel with? Friends, if we are living spiritual lives, it will be obvious because it will bring about emotion and question and thought from those people around us. Not only does our spiritual life uplift other Christians, but our spiritual life brings out other things and emotions in non-Christians. And it will be easier to delineate because I will tell you, and I believe this to be true, there will be non-Christians, if our lives are being lived in a way that they should, that brings about this spiritual jealousy, there will be non-Christians who will be knocking at your door. And I've seen it happen in my own life. I'm not saying that I live this way consistently, but I've seen it happen in my own life. Just living spiritual lives, uh, living a spiritual life of spiritual blessing brings people to your doorstep. Now, it's not always that easy, but it needs to happen that way. Sometimes I think it's proof. Again, that could just be a conjecture that I'm making. I don't have a verse to necessarily point as a proof text for that. The last thing I want you to see, and this is sort of just an introductory idea to what we're going to talk about next is Israel's rejection is not final. I'm not going to go into detail about this today. But Israel's rejection is not final. Look at verse, verses 15 and 16. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Just simply what this is saying, and we'll go into it next week and, or in the following weeks. There are Jews that are still being saved today. And there will be a great salvation amongst God's chosen nation um, if it hasn't already started. There will be a great salvation amongst God's chosen nation in the future. If their rejection means reconciliation to the world, what will, it, what will their acceptance mean? Life from the dead. This is spiritual life. This is salvation. This is salvation. Now, I don't believe it happens in any other way but this. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. I believe at some point there will, become, there will come salvation, repentance, that leads to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There are a few thoughts I want to leave you with today. Number one, what this tells us is, is that election is not arbitrary. Election is not arbitrary. 
If God chooses some to be saved, he is, they are saved definitively. But if He passes over some, He even uses that passing over to bring about faith in others. How many times have you um, heard, and you may not a lot, but I will tell you I have a lot. How many times have you heard of someone dying without Christ and at their funeral other people becoming a Christian? Have you heard of that? I've heard multiple instances of this. The pastor presents the gospel. He tells of a destination without repentance and without faith in Christ and people are saved. Or even the death of somebody and later on you find out that their life um, their life, or their death caused repentance. Election is not arbitrary. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Gentiles. It's for the world. And God has a plan, obviously, in acceptance of this salvation. And He has a plan in the rejection. Another thing that we need to understand is, not only are we, should we be in extreme gratitude um, because of our, our state that we were um, before salvation and how God has brought us out of that. But we should, be in extremely, uh, we should be in extreme gratitude because of God's plan to use this rejection to bring faith to us. I said this last week, or two weeks ago maybe, and if, if you missed it, I want to say it again for you. Jesus is here because God decided to save the Jews. Jesus came to us because God decided to save the Jews. And it was through the rejection of His chosen nation that Jesus was brought to us. We should be extremely gra uh, gracious. We should not then take for granted that salvation is merely and simply an act of God upon us in every way. Not just in the quickening of our hearts, but in getting us to the point where we can even hear about the gospel. We should not sit in these pews thinking less of the Jew or thinking less of an unbeliever or thinking more of ourselves. Election is not arbitrary. We should be extremely gracious for the salvation that we have. Uh, Another thing that you need to take from this is God has always had a heart to reach the world. It was always God's plan to bring about salvation through His people. And when that didn't happen in the way that He prescribed, He, he did it Himself to the rest of the world. God has always had a heart to reach the rest of the world. And if God's heart is in such a way, and we want to live in the image of Jesus and be like Jesus, then our heart should be in such a way. As a matter of fact, He gave the command in Acts 1.8 to be missionaries in your home first and in your city and in your county and in your state and in your nation and to the world. God's plan and God's heart is to reach the world. And so as a church and as a people, our plan and our hearts should be to reach the world. Here is one that you should take home that is extremely important and don't pass it up. Like the Israelites, we have been given a chance to be the city on a hill. We have been given the opportunity to be a city on a hill. Don't pass it up. Don't pass it up. And don't get passed over because you have, you have chosen, we have chosen to receive the gift more than the giver. 
The Israelites were meant to be the city on the hill. They were meant to be the light, the shining example of salvation. And yet they let it go. They passed it up. They, they chose to, uh, to, to relish in the blessings and not in the giver of the blessing. Church, don't be in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world and do the same. Don't receive the gifts of the most prosperous nation in the history of the world and refuse to get past the gifts to go to the giver. God's heart must equal our heart. We are intended to be the city on a hill. And the Lord as an example to us, and, and well, Israel is an example to us, but the Lord in sort of uh, ex- exhorting us to move along, He says, He says, no one lights a candle and puts it under a a basket. No one lights a candle and covers it. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And the purpose for Israel is the purpose for us, is the purpose until Jesus comes, that they may glorify our Father who is in heaven. Friends, we have the opportunity today to voluntarily bow our knee before Jesus and bring that message as a light to the world. If you don't, the foot of God will be placed on your neck someday because someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You have an opportunity right now to voluntarily praise and worship and be a light to the world. Or later, you can have your neck crushed by His foot. Because, and I know that sounds harsh, but he, it will be one or the other. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He desires to use all of our circumstances, all of the things of our lives to be a light to the world, to the glory of God the Father. The last thing you need to see applicable application wise, excuse me, I didn't think that was that tough of a word, is that God is steadfast in keeping his promises. The commands of God are irrevocable, friends. He is steadfast in keeping his promises. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. If we repent and believe the gospel, he will keep us for forever, just like he has kept his original promise to his nation. And so much so that he is going to one day, I believe, bring about a great spiritual revelation amongst the people of Israel that will bring them to salvation and faith in the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, alone. Because he is true to his covenants. He is faithful to his people only because he is faithful to himself, to the glory of God the Father. Pray with me. You are so good, God. You are so good. Lord, help us today to voluntarily, to voluntarily be a city on a hill. A lamp that cannot be hidden. A light to the world. Help us today to not take for granted, to not take for granted our salvation. To not take for granted our light and our hope. And the peace that we have in you. And to spread that to the world. Lord, we are so grateful and so thankful for this love and this kindness that you have given us. Help us to never lose sight of that.
and help it to change us so that others may see you in us and be drawn to jealousy and repent and believe the gospel. We love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.